Well, good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. Uh, if I've not gotten a chance to meet you yet, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're so excited that you guys are here this morning. And uh, just have a question for you. How many of you have ever seen the show, Let's Make a Deal? Now, it's a great show. One of my favorites. If you haven't seen the show before, uh, what they do is they have a contestant come on down. And they give that contestant $500. And they say, now listen, you can keep that $500. You can keep that money. Or... You can give it back, and you can have what is behind curtain number two, right? And behind curtain number two might be a brand new car, or it might be a a vacation to the Bahamas, or it could be something like this, right? You don't know, right? You're just trying to make a deal. You're trying to figure out, do I risk it? Or it could be the world's largest cereal bowl, right? And we all love a deal, don't we? But how many of you have ever tried to make a deal with God? Ever? Ever found yourself trying to make a deal, trying to bargain with him? And sometimes we say things like, God, if you'll do this, and I promise, I promise I'll always do X, Y, Z. Or God, 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 if you will I promise I'll never, ever, ever again do X, Y, Z. Have you been there? Ever made a deal? Ever tried to bargain, try to negotiate with God? I mean, you've messed something up. You've gone sideways just a little bit, and you're like, okay, I need need to be bailed out right now, right? And, And here's the thing I know about you and I, or at least most of us. You don't even keep your end of the bargain. Right? You, you don't even follow through. And sometimes what happens is, is maybe you were in high school and you were, you were heading home and it was past the time mom and dad said you were supposed to be home. Right? Mom said, be home by 10.30. And now it is 10.45, 10.48, and you're, you're heading home and there you're thinking, oh, man. God, I know you haven't heard from me in a while, but please, God, please let my mom be asleep so I can just roll right in. I'm going to turn the engine off and just kind of cruise in and then sneak in. And God, please, if you let my mom and dad be asleep when I roll in today, I promise I'll go to church. God, I'll even go to summer camp. God, I'll... I'll get a job and I'll start giving money, right? Or maybe we say things, you know what, God, if you work this out for me, I'll I'll just break off the relationship. I know you don't want me in that relationship. I know I shouldn't be dating that person. I'll just, I'll stop, right? I'll never, I'll never drink again. I'll never do drugs again. I'll never gamble again. God, I'll be done, right? Trying to make a deal. And you know what? Sometimes... Things work out, right? You roll in home, mom's already fast asleep, and you're like, guys, guess what? I got home, and she was already asleep. Or you go to work the next day, right? That big project is due, but you're behind on it. And your boss is sick that day, and you're like, yes, I get another day to work on this. Or you you show up, right, for that test that you were not prepared for, and your teacher's out sick. 
yes, I get another day to study. And we say things, you know what, I was, I was lucky, right? I, you don't even follow through with your end of the deal. And if you've ever made a deal with God, if you've ever tried to negotiate or bargain, whether you're a believer or not, you have two assumptions. And here's the first assumption. God knows you exist. Unbelievers, people who don't even claim that Jesus is their Lord and Savior, bargain, negotiate, try to make a deal with God. And assumption number one is you know that, that, that you believe that God knows you exist, right? You believe that he, he knows your situation. You believe he knows your name. You believe he can actually do something. You believe that he cares about you, right? Assumption number two, you have something God wants. That's how a negotiation starts, right? You have something that I want, right? I want what you have. And so let's work out a deal. What is it that I have over here that you might want? God, <clears throat> let, me, let me dig into my bag of stuff. God, I bet you probably want some church attendance. God, I'm going to come every single week. I'm going to be at church. God, you might, you might want some obedience. All right, God. All right, God. I know the one thing you want, right? Money, right? I'm going to give. I'm going to start giving every single week. I heard that's all you want, in fact, is my money. And we try to negotiate. We try to strike a deal with God. God, if you'll do this, then I'll do this, or I'll never do this, or I'll stop doing this. And here's the thing. God doesn't want to negotiate because he doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. Because you and I, as, as good as you may think you are, as, as amazing your church attendance might be, or your money, or your offering, he's God. He owns everything. The Bible says he owns a cattle on a thousand hill. He doesn't need my money. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need you to serve. He doesn't need you to give. He's God. He's the creator of the universe. He spoke everything into existence. Now, he chooses to use you and I. He chooses to use us, and he does. But he doesn't need us. He doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. And if he really wants something for you, what is that? And how does that change how you and I should live our lives? Well, let's talk about that. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. While you're turning there, give you a little bit of the context. You see, Paul is writing this letter to this church in Ephesus, and he's actually writing from prison, and he's talking about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. And he starts off in chapter 1 and part of chapter 2 talking about who you are in Christ. And then chapter 4, he starts talking about what does it look like to live your life as a follower of Jesus. Chapter 2, he starts off pretty negative. So Ephesians chapter 2, Verse 1, here's how he starts. Once you were dead. 
right? That, that word dead is this idea of being, I'm separated from God because when you're dead, you're separated from life. Once you were dead, you're separated from God because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very own nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. So that starts off with the bad news, right? You were dead. God, God sees you as spiritually dead. And you're living your life <clears throat> apart from God, apart from Jesus. And he says, you're following after the world. You're following after your sinful pleasures. You're following after the flesh. And you're following after the devil. So in one short paragraph, he sums up all three of these things. You're following after the world, the flesh, and the devil. Tim, hold up on the devil thing, all right? Are, are you saying I, I am or I was like a Satan follower? That has a lot of meaning, doesn't it? But what Paul is saying is before Christ, the only thing you and I were thinking about was following after our own desires, following after the ways of the world. And Satan, he is leading the charge of the world. And sin is all about Satan, all about the devil. And so, yeah, in a way... You were living for or following somebody other than God, and it was Satan, which is a dark place to start, right? That's who you were. That's, that's the condition God found you in. But it's amazing that he doesn't just say, well, that's who you are. I have no interest in you. Paul is writing this letter saying, you know what? It started off pretty dark. You were spiritually dead. You were far from God. The only thing you wanted was your own desires. The only thing you were following was, was what you wanted. You were doing what you wanted to do, nothing else. God wasn't even on your radar. And then, in two words, Paul transitions. Check this out. Verse 4, he says, but God those are the most powerful words in this text. God is the subject. And so many times when you're negotiating, you're saying, okay, God, God, if you do this, right, I will do this, right? There's usually a but I, right? I messed up. I blew this up. And if you come through, but I'll, I'll do this. I'll stop drinking. I'll start doing this. I'll start doing that. And God, knowing your spiritual condition, knowing you are far from God, knowing you have no desire to follow him, he stepped into our world. And it started with a but God. But God. But God what, right? But God is rich in mercy. He's so rich in mercy. 
That's amazing. Because the idea of being rich in mercy is this overabounding. It's like he is overflowing, flooded with mercy. You can't drink him dry of mercy. It's like trying to drink the ocean dry. But God, he sees your condition. He sees you are far from him. He sees you have this spiritual need. You're dead spiritually. And by the way, what did dead people do? Nothing. Dead people don't do anything, okay, except for in the movies. Dead people are dead. They don't seek after anything. They don't work. They don't make money. And that was you and I, far from God, spiritually dead. And God intervened in your life. He pursued you, right? He doesn't want anything from you. He wants something for you. And he is rich in mercy, overflowing in that. He loved you. He loved you so much because of his great love. You might be wondering, God, why would you even care about me? God, why would you even give me a second chance? God, why would you even help me out? Because he loved you so much. If, if you would leave here remembering one thing that we've talked about, I hope it would be this. He loved us so much. And he pursued you. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what's happened in your life, no matter what choices you've made, no matter what's happened to you, no matter what you've done in past relationships, no matter what happened yesterday or last week, he loved you so much. He pursued you, knowing that you were pursuing the world, the flesh, and the devil knowing that spiritually you were dead, knowing that, that you and I, let's be honest, apart from Jesus, hopeless. But he was rich in mercy and he loved you so much. God, why do you care about me? God, why would you even answer my prayers? Because he loved you. Because he loved you so much doesn't have anything to do with what you did or what you deserved. Let me summarize it this way. It's all about grace. You've been saved by grace. When you made a decision to follow Jesus, to ask him to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, he intervened and he said, yeah, you know what? I love you so much. That's grace. But take a look at what Paul says in verse 5. That even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us what? He gave us life. He gave us life that when he raised Christ from the dead, it's only by God's grace that you have been saved. You know what? Because of this, if you're a follower of Jesus, sin is no longer your master. Sin no longer has a grip on you and your life. You've been set free. Even though you were, what? You were dead. You were separated from God because of my sins. 
He gave us life. He took someone that was spiritually dead and he breathed new life into that. And by grace, you've been saved. Through faith, you've been saved. If I could, if I could summarize everything with, in one word, it would be grace. Grace is unmerited favor. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. And so when we try to make a deal with God, we say, God, I need something from you. I've got something over here I think you might want. He goes, no, no, no. I don't want anything from you. I want something for you. It's grace. I want you. This is what God says. I want you to experience my unmerited favor. I am so rich in mercy, overflowing, abounding in mercy. I have so much mercy, you will never run this dry. I have that for you. Sure, you made decisions that weren't pleasing to God. You made choices. You made mistakes. You were in relationships. You made deals at work. They were not pleasing at all. And remember, we talked about that. What can wash away my sin, my shame, my guilt? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And Paul is saying, you know what? It's all about grace. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. And he is pouring that out on you. And the thing about grace is, is it's amazing. And there's two types of grace, right? There's this common grace that everybody experiences, right? The fact that planet Earth is in its proximity to the sun is God's common grace. If, if Earth is too close to the sun, it just burns up. If Earth is too far away from the sun, we freeze to death. That is God's grace. Everybody on planet Earth experiences that. The fact that you have breath in your lungs, God's common grace. But the fact that you are able to place your faith in Christ alone, that's God's saving grace, and that is amazing. So God made you alive through grace. Here's the point. With God, grace is the rule. Grace is the rule, not the exception, and the offer for God's grace is to everyone. Everybody experiences the common grace, but that, that offer for saving grace is offered to everybody. And he wants that for you. If you're here this morning and you're like, Tim, I've tried to make deals with God, but I don't know where I stand with him. If I were to die today, I'd have no idea where I would spend eternity. I'm hoping that the good is outweighing the bad. I hope that I at least break even. But man, I'm hoping I can just tip the scale a little bit. I would say, you know what? God's grace is there for you, extended to you. Dead people don't change. It's by the grace of God that you've changed. Dead people don't make better decisions. It's by the grace of God that you have made decisions that you've made to follow Jesus. Dead people don't say, you know what? That's wrong. I'm going to start following Jesus. 
It is by the grace of God. By the grace of God that you and I are becoming different. But take a look at what he says next in verse 6. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. So because of God's grace, not only are you saved, but you're united with the king of kings. You're united with the one who spoke everything out into existence. Again, he doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you, and it's his grace. It's his unmerited favor because he is rich in mercy because he loves you so much. That's what he wants for you. His grace. Take a look at verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Here's how the New American Standard says it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Remember we talked about Abraham? God tells Abraham, I want you to go to this far place. I'm not going to tell you where you're going to go. Just pick up and go. And Abraham follows. God makes this incredible promise, promises to Abraham. And we saw that God credited or counted righteousness to Abraham's account. And it was through faith. That when you place your faith in Christ, when you ask Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, it is by grace. Is by unmerited favor that you have been saved. You can't do enough good works. You can't pile in enough good deeds into that basket, hoping, was I good enough? Did I do enough? And if so, how, how would I know? God says, I don't want anything from you. I want something for you. It's by grace you have been saved. Here's the good news. If you've made Jesus the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, he calls you saved. Verse 9 says this, Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Right? Verse 10, For we are God's masterpiece. Hang on to that word. We'll come back to that. Masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. It's a gift from God. It's not a trade. It's not a negotiation. It wasn't a deal that you made. It was all a gift. It was his grace. So let me ask you a question. What standard will you use to determine where you stand with God? What's the standard? Is it behavior? God, I'm hoping that if I just do enough things, if I just say the right words, if I come to church enough, if I give enough money, if I do all these things, if I, if I give enough blood, if I help enough little old ladies across the street, my behavior will outweigh or at least break even. Or is it God's grace? 
Another way of asking is this. Is it about what you do for you? Or is it about what God has done for you? All of the religious systems of the world, all of the faith systems of the world talk about D-O, everything you need to do. But the focal point of following Jesus is not anything to do with do. It's about done. That Jesus died on the cross for your sins and for my sins, and he paid for all of it. So what can wash away my sin? What can wash away my shame, my guilt? Jesus did that. He paid for that. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. He did it for you. That's his grace. The Christian faith is about done. God, what do do I have to do to get you interested in me? There's no prescription anywhere on the planet for how good you have to be to get God to pay attention. There's no list of things that you have to do. He's already interested in you. The God of the universe wants a deep and meaningful personal relationship with you. All the to-dos are a response to what God has to done. A better way of saying that is this right here. 100% of the to-dos in the Christian faith are responses to what God has done for us. He's already done it. It's by grace that that offer of salvation is available to everyone. It's a gift. And you choose, what am I going to do with that gift? Am I going to accept it? It's like somebody giving you a Christmas gift, and inside that envelope is a Visa gift card. Ooh, for 100 bucks. You don't have to do anything with it. You could throw it away, file it in a dresser, put it in your sock drawer, give it to your friend, or you could use it. Or that gift has been offered to you by grace. Following Jesus is an incredible decision. And remember, I told you to hang on to that word, masterpiece, right? For we are God's masterpiece. He, he took your identity and he radically transformed it. That it's not, your identity is not in what you do. Your identity is not in who you're related to. Your identity is not, not connected to any of those things that you've done or not done. Your identity is in Christ. And he says, you are my masterpiece. It's like a beautifully written poem. It's like a, a sculpture, a creative sculpture that, that he created. That's who you are. So when you follow Jesus, your identity is radically changed and transformed. And he looks at you, and he sees that you are forgiven, you're pleasing to him, and your identity is not wrapped up in being a mom, a dad, a grandparent, or an electrician, or a teacher, or a plumber, or a sinner. Your identity is, I'm a masterpiece. And the one who looks at you and deems you the masterpiece is the creator of the universe. That's incredible. 
All right, so what do, what do I do? Most people respond to the idea of unconditional grace with, but what about? Right, you, you probably have your, your what abouts. So at some point today, or some point this week, on the car ride home, at lunch, later this week, with, with a friend, with a group of friends, with a small group, I want you to work through this. What's your what about? When it comes to unconditional grace or unconditional love, you might have a what about. And I want you to wrestle with that this week. You, what's your pushback? Wrestle with that with somebody. Work through that. And you might come up with more questions and more pushbacks, and that's okay. But here's what I know. Grace changes us. And if it's changed us, we ought to be more merciful, more patient, more loving, more forgiving, and allowing us, that grace ought to allow us to make a larger impact on our world. Grace is powerful. So this week, as you go, let's live grace-changed lives. Let me pray with you. God, we are amazed by your grace. We didn't deserve it. Certainly didn't earn it. And I, I know there are people in this room who are just wrestling with lots of, yeah, but what about this? And what about that? Those are great questions. Those are great tensions to lean into. But your grace really is amazing. And I just ask that you would just overwhelm us with your grace and your mercy. That today as we, as we struggle through life, as we deal with some of the challenges in front of us, we would lean into that grace and we would be changed and transformed by it. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You guys stand with us in response this morning.